You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArko underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. I almost forgot the Twitter handle for Bucks Nation there for a second. That's how this show's going to go. We're 30 seconds in and we're off the rails. All right. We are going to take a look at round number two now of our uh, Locked on Bucks NFL mock draft three rounds, yada, 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 whatever you want to call it. You get it. If you haven't listened to round one yet, I recommend you do so. Go back to yesterday's episode. We have a full first round mock, but for the context in which we will be discussing round number two, you kind of need to know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers walked away with their offensive tackle taking Makai Becton at number 14. Yeah, and then moving into day two to kick off the second round, the Cincinnati Bengals came back up on the clock with a 33rd pick to start us off, and they were saddled with or received linebacker Zach Bond out of Wisconsin, James being really nice to the Cincinnati Bengals, giving them a quarterback and a possible quarterback for their defense. Following the Bengals, the Indianapolis Colts nabbed cornerback A.J. Terrell out of Alabama or Terrell. I'm not really sure how he says that. 35, the Detroit Lions got running back Jonathan Taylor. A.J. Epinesa went to the New York Giants, followed by Yeter Gross Matos, who went to the Los Angeles Chargers from Penn State. Offensive lineman Cesar Ruiz, who was getting some first-round buzz lately uh, out of Michigan, went to the Carolina Panthers. Miami Dolphins added running back DeAndre Swift to their day-one haul having a pretty nice draft early on, which I remember while we were doing this, James, you mentioned that with as many picks as they have, it's kind of hard not to, which I kind of agree with. And then at pick 40, uh, defensive lineman Ross Blacklock went to the Houston Texans. And if you remember on yesterday's episode, uh, he's kind of the guy that I pointed to when giving James his, his credit where credit was deserved for passing on a wide receiver uh, in the, with the San Francisco 49ers first pick. Um, Ross Blacklock likely would have been that pick. So then we see him go uh, all the way at pick 40 in the second round. So just kind of reinforcing the fact that the 49ers, in fact, made a good decision instead of reaching and being saddled with a second round pick with their second first round pick. Other than that, nothing really completely surprising. Uh, I am a fan of on Johnson. James, I do believe you said you were also a fan of on Johnson. So the fact that Jonathan Taylor is headed to the Detroit Lions, you know, that's a little bit sad from just a general football perspective, but you can't argue with the pick as carry on just hasn't been able uh, to materialize yet. And, you know, with Matthew Stafford getting up in age and everything else, they're going to need to be able to rely on that running game. So bringing a guy in like Taylor, who does have quite a few miles on his own tires, but uh, has a good history and should be able to do some good things there. And then the second running back off the board, DeAndre Swift out of Georgia going to the Miami Dolphins. I mean, we'll see if they can do any better with this running back talent than they have with the running back talent they've had on their roster over the last few years. Uh, not a whole lot of confidence, but, you know, Coach, Coach Flores might bring in a new era of confidence from, from that organization. We'll see how that works. But that's two of the possible five running backs that we've, we've been talking about off the board at pick 40. 
and we are four picks away from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being back on the clock. Yeah, poor, uh, poor carry on my wayward son, carry on Johnson. I'm a big fan of him, but you're right. He just can't stay healthy. And, and even when he is healthy, he's part of rotation. And I think a one-two punch, Jonathan Taylor and carry on Johnson, that is really going to alleviate some of the pressure uh, that Matthew Stafford feels. You know, he's been, um, he's hurt his back the last two years, literally carrying that team. Um, and then, of course, DeAndre Swift. I think he'll be great in Miami. Uh, yeah, I have been nice to the Cincinnati Bengals because I'm trying to be true to the draft board and, you know, quarterback for the offense, quarterback for the defense. And Zach Vaughn is a guy who has gotten a little bit of late first round buzz. So I think they were real excited to see him come in at uh, or, or drop to them at round number two. Now, pick number 41, we got the Cleveland Browns. They're going to take safety Jeremy Chin out of Southern Illinois. The Jacksonville Jaguars get some help for Gardner Minshew by taking uh, offensive tackle Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. The Chicago Bears, they're going to go with an Ohio State Buckeye in cornerback Damon Arnett. And the Indianapolis Colts get a weapon for their new quarterback, Phillip Rivers, by taking wide receiver Jalen Rager out of TCU, who just was a gift that fell into their lap. And and that was a pick that, David, you and I debated a little bit about, but ultimately, uh, much like a – you know, a couple of other picks in this round, uh, I lost. <laughs> I don't know if you lost. Um, but, yeah, I mean, well, it was interesting because as Rager was going to the Colts on the board, we both kind of started – well, I think you kicked it off commenting about, oh, yeah, that Indianapolis Colts wide receiver group is. And as you're saying terrible, I'm saying pretty good. Oh, because we, we definitely have different views on their wide receiver group. Uh, you view, you know, T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell. I don't know how you view Paris Campbell, but you probably view him as a as a third guy, fourth guy, maybe at best, you know, masquerading as a number two guy in the 2020 NFL season. Whereas me, I, I look at him as a, you know, bottom floor second guy with that potential to come up there. But then Rager really helps stretch the field for them, and T.Y. is T.Y. Um, so it's just funny because we both kind of agreed, at least in theory, that the, that the team – needed some wide receiver help just for different reasons. Yeah, I, I view Paris Campbell very much as a number three guy at the absolute best. They needed a compliment for T.Y. Hilton. So I think Jalen Rager is really going to come in and help this team out. His speed, his elusiveness, his quickness, that's really going to be a weapon. Even on short throws from Phillip Rivers, getting him into space, he can be a dangerous, dangerous weapon for Andy. That, of course, will bring us to pick number 45. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on the clock. And, David, as you mentioned, three of the big five running backs are sitting here on the clock. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, both already drafted. But now here the Buccaneers are. They've solidified their offensive line with Mekhi Becton. Now they can get their complimentary guy for Ronald Jones with their choice of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, J.K. Dobbins, or Cam Akers? Second round of the 2020 Locked On Bucks mock draft, and we are sitting here at pick 45. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on the clock in the second round, and like we've just been outlining, there are three potential running back targets on the board in J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, and Cam Akers that have been heavily talked about, but 
There's also players of interest at other positions. Safety, Kyle Duggar is still on the board. Safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. is on the board. Another safety, Ashton Davis on the board, as well as cornerbacks like Bryce Hall out of Virginia. Uh, there's still some offensive linemen. I mean, uh, Isaiah Wilson is still available. So, you know, could the Buccaneers double dip on the offensive line the way that we've seen them double dip into other positions as recent as last year, going really heavy in the secondary? So, James, we had a decision to make. And if people have been listening to this show for, for any period of time, especially recently, then they kind of already know which side of each coin you and I were going to be on. But for those who are new to the show or for those who haven't been as, as regular and they're listening, uh, for one, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button so that you can become a more regular listener. But let's just recap real quick. So I am a firm believer that J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State is the number one fit for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not necessarily the number one running back in a vacuum. When I look at the stable of running backs, not just available, but all the, the entire top five, uh, to me, J.K. Dobbins is the best complement to what Ronald Jones brings to the team and adds more to the Buccaneers roster as an individual player than any of the other available running backs, even though it is a close competition between he and Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of LSU. So those are kind of my top two, and they just happen to both be available. So Cam Akers kind of left out in the cold for me on this one, really not being considered as Dobbins and Edwards-Alaire are the two guys I'm looking at in this conversation, which takes us to your side of the conversation. Yeah, when uh, when we did the power ranking of the top five running backs as far as fits for the Buccaneers, I had J.K. Dobbins as my number two choice. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was my number one guy. Look, when you bring in Tom Brady and you see how often Tom Brady is a guy who likes to check down to the running back when something isn't there, he's got that internal clock that he relies on. If his receiver isn't open, if a guy isn't where he's supposed to be, he looks for that running back. And out of these five running backs, nobody was a better pass catcher than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. The guy had over 50 receptions in his junior season in 2019, averaged 8.6 yards per reception uh, in his career at LSU. And to me, that's kind of where Ronald Jones is lacking a little bit is in his pass catching. It's improving, but it's not quite there. So I feel the perfect compliment is not only a guy who can run the ball the way Clyde Edwards Hilaire can, but the pass catching threat that he is just made way too much sense for me in terms of what I want to see the Bucks focus on when they are drafting a running back in this draft. Right. And uh, of course, I had to go ahead and concede defeat on the point of Clyde Edwards-Alaire having much better receiving stats and production uh, out of LSU than J.K. Dobbins did with Ohio State. However, I also threw in there a little bit of just because J.K. Dobbins hasn't been asked to do it doesn't mean he's not capable of doing it. And I looked back at Ezekiel Elliott when he was coming out of Ohio State, funny enough, coming out of these same uh, type of offense, the same, same system, recent enough to where you can really closely kind of compare these two. Uh, and Ezekiel Elliott considered, you know, a top five pick, at least a top 10 pick at the time coming out in the, in the draft. A lot of the people that were knocking the, the early selection of him were knocking him because of pass pr uh, production. And, and my argument back then was that just because Ezekiel Elliott wasn't asked to be a feature receiver at Ohio State doesn't mean he's not capable of catching the ball way that an NFL team will ask him. And I argue that J.K. Dobbins is much uh, in, the same, in the same way. Now, where J.K. does fall short, especially as a receiver, is he doesn't have the speed that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to have. I know that Clyde ran slower than expected at the scouting combine, but I think everybody agrees 
that Edwards Alaire is faster on the field than what he looked like in shorts, and that's what's most important. Um, but then I also kind of doubled down on you and threw in the history with Clyde. And, you know, I hate to do, I hate to, to pick at a player that I do actually enjoy very much. But I had to point out that Clyde Edwards Alaire has his one season of really good production with LSU, doing it with uh, Jamar Chase, who is going to be probably the best wide receiver in the class when he comes out, doing it with a first round uh, wide receiver on the field currently in Jefferson, and then doing it with a Heisman winning first round number one overall pick in Joe Burrow at quarterback. So a lot of weapons for opposing defenses to watch. Meanwhile, J.K. Dobbins did what he did with an arguably less talented quarterback, even though Fields was still a Heisman candidate and no first-round wide receivers on his roster. Uh, But meantime, J.K. Dobbins, first Ohio State running back in history, the history of the school that brought you Eddie George, Archie Griffin, and so many more talented running backs. First running back in history of the school, J.K. Dobbins, to rush for 2,000 yards in a single season and the owner of the freshman yards, rushing yards record, at the same school, again, topping all of those guys that you've heard so much of. So I had to kind of throw pile all that experience on you, and uh, you weren't budging, though. No, because, uh, you know, in this mock draft, we took somebody number one overall who theoretically only has one year of production. And all that wear and tear for J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State, you know, he has nearly double the amount of carries that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had in the same span of time, which means he's been beaten down a whole lot more. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire probably has a little more tread left on those tires. Now, that's not to say that J.K. Dobbins didn't earn every inch that he gained or every touchdown that he got, but he was also being pummeled and beaten by opposing defenses the entire time he was doing it, while Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he pretty much just kind of chilled his freshman year. And, uh, you know, his carries went from nine as a freshman to 146 to 215, whereas J.K. Dobbins started with 194, then went up to 230, then up to 301. So it makes you wonder, you know, which one is going to be the better pro as far as longevity. I understand you don't always draft running backs thinking long term, but you don't want a guy breaking down after two years because he'd been, you know, he'd had the snot kicked out of him for the last three. Yep, yep. And you know what? And leave it to my co-host to turn lack of usage into a positive that is that is some amazing salesmanship you've got going on over there and i, I applaud have, you for it you um, have greatly. the spin zone and <laughs> i will say the only counter i can really give to that because uh it is it is true when you're talking about talented backs you know when you when you if you look at guys as even and even the one with kind of less abuse to their body although i would argue that jk dobbins was the one beating up on defenders uh, especially those in blue and yellow or maize and gold or whatever don't you besmirch Uh, the good school that our quarterback came from (laughs) sir um i would say that he was doling out the punishment more than he was receiving the punishment however that is a common discussion when you talk about running back especially you know i mean it's a position that has a low shelf life as as it is so you have a running back coming in with a lot of miles on their legs already it does worry you a little bit but i would argue that jk uh despite all the usage that he got or all the use that he got out of ohio state came out of it healthy, uh, no health concerns entering the combine, no health concerns have come up since. And you know that they measure and scan as much as they can, even in these times, you know, there's still guys going out there and getting independent physicals, et cetera, et cetera. But James, I mean, I think at the end of the day, basically what we realize is that you and I were not going to be able to make this pick alone. We were going to be able to narrow it down to two 
candidates, but that much like general managers do in the National Football League, we're going to have to look across the room at the talented people that we know, that we feel confident in their football IQ and their ability to evaluate talent and essentially pull the room and, and see where we came from. So we did that. We reached out to some friends of ours. And uh, I'm going to let you tell the good people what we came up with. Yeah, see, what had happened was David was losing, and he called in reinforcements. And, Bailey, I'm sorry. I failed you. So, yes, at pick number 45, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers select running back J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. And uh, I will say, as hard as I fought for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I, if this were to be how the draft played out, I'm not going to be upset. I personally like Clyde Edwards Hilaire better. I do not look at J.K. Dobbins as a consolation prize in any way. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, I'm happy about it. I'm not going to gloat. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let us move on. So that is a decision that was made. However, I, you know, Uh, I think the same sentiment was basically echoed by all the people that we kind of brought into the conversation just to help us sort this out, that there's no losing either way, right? So whether the Buccaneers in this situation, if they're faced with the same situation on Friday, go with Dobbins or go with Edwards Alaire. I mean, the the team wins no matter what I think in that situation. That's really at the end of the day, uh, what you're looking for. But moving on, uh, because we did spend a lot of that time, we still have to wrap up the rest of the second round uh, following the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pick, the Denver Broncos went ahead and took uh, that safety out of Lenore Ryan. And the Falcons followed up by taking Terrell Lewis out of Alabama. Another edge rusher, Julian Aquara, went to the New York Jets. The Pittsburgh Steelers got Clyde Edwards-Alaire out of LSU. LaVisca Chenault, sorry, uh, went to the Chicago Bears. Dallas Cowboys got Antoine Winfield Jr. Michael Pittman Jr., uh, you know, uh, Buccaneers player namesake, went to the Los Angeles Rams. Ashton Davis, one of my favorite safeties, ends up with the Philadelphia Eagles. The Buffalo Bills got Noah, I'm going to butcher your last name, out of Auburn, cornerback. And then uh, interior offensive lineman Lloyd Cushenberry, the third, went to the Baltimore Ravens. Josh Uche from Michigan ends up with the Miami Dolphins. The Rams get Cam Akers out of Florida State. So the Rams end up with a Seminole and a Bucks legacy. So I'm sure that our listeners are going to be very happy with us for that. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings get Bryce Hall, cornerback out of Virginia, Neville Gallimore, out of Oklahoma goes to the Seahawks. The Ravens get Justin Matabuke out of Texas A&M. Jonathan Greenard from the Gators goes to the Tennessee Titans. The Green Bay Packers get Cole Komet out of Notre Dame. And offensive tackle Isaiah Wilson goes to the Kansas City Chiefs at pick 63, which I don't see happening, but that's how our board fell. Edge Curtis Weaver out of Boise State wraps up the second round going to the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, James, out of all those picks... I have to say, man, the Rams getting the legacy player in Michael Pittman Jr. and then getting Cam Akers, uh, we did not do that on purpose in any way, shape, or form. We did notice it when it happened, and uh, I still kind of cringe at it when I'm seeing it now because, yeah, Bucks fans not going to be happy with us for that one. And then Clyde Edwards-Alaire going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, looking at kind of all the quote-unquote expert sites, running back isn't even a need for the Pittsburgh Steelers, yet here they are taking Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And it's funny because – I was watching ESPN earlier today, and one of their draft experts actually talked about the Steelers could be a sneaky team to get into that running back mix. Uh, somebody was talking about them possibly getting the mix of trade for Leonard Fournette. And now, if they don't do that, apparently there's some who think they could actually draft a running back on day two. So kudos to you for uh, being a little bit more in tune with what the Steelers need because 
running back not listed as a team need, yet here you are, and the experts obviously agree with you. Yeah, I would like to congratulate the Pittsburgh Steelers on drafting the 2020 Offensive Rookie of the Year in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. When you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, you have James Conner, who has done a phenomenal job, but he does have a few problems staying on the field, and uh, he's going to be due for a contract soon. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, as we saw with Le'Veon Bell, are not going to shell out a massive amount of money for a running back so they can get a guy now to be the James Conner compliment this year and then move on to be the starting running back for them next year. And uh, you know, with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire sitting there for him at pick 49, it was, it was way too good to pass up. All right, we have wrapped up round two of the three-round Locked on Bucks 2020 NFL mock draft. And in this final segment, we have a couple of draft-related questions that were sent in by you fabulous listeners. So we're going to go ahead and answer some voicemails. What's up, guys? It's um, Timmy again from uh, Orlando, Florida. Um, I just wanted to see how you guys feel about the um, some of the rumors going around of Leonard Fournette being available and that um, it would possibly only take a fourth or a fifth round pick to get him in this draft. Um, I personally feel I've got to steal for someone like, like Leonard Fournette, especially with the year he had last year. Um, so that way we can probably just address safety in rounds two or maybe three instead of just addressing it later on. But just let me know what you guys think. Love the show, and take care. All right. Thank you very much for the call. And that was obviously sent in before the reports that came out on Monday. We actually have the story up at BucksNation.com. But Josina Anderson reported that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are not expected to be a taker in a Leonard Fournette trade at this time. The feeling is there's a lot of running back depth in the draft uh, according to Justina Anderson's source. So the Bucks are looking to upgrade that position via the draft. Now, my personal stance on a Leonard Fournette trade is I would not want them to do it. And David, let me ask you something. Uh, when the Buccaneers brought in Tom Brady, did that give you the impression that for the first time in a long time, the Buccaneers would be playing meaningful games in November, December, and January? Oh, yeah. Big time. So how would you feel about giving up draft capital for a running back who in the month of September had a yards per carry average over five and a half? In the month of October, it dropped to 4.3. In the month of November, it dropped to 3.6. And in the month of December, it dropped to 3.1. Uh, nope, I don't. I don't think I would like that at all, James. No, no, neither would I. As as flashy and as impressive as Leonard Fournette can be at times, he d- he's not durable throughout the season, and he progressively gets worse as the season continues. That's not the kind of running back that you want on your team. I like Leonard Fournette. I hope wherever he goes, he's able to turn it around. But right now, what he has shown in the NFL so far is when you're getting into those meaningful games, he cannot be relied upon the way he can early on in the season. So I just don't feel like Leonard Fournette is a fit for this team in any way, shape, or form. And if Josina Anderson is right, as she usually is, it sounds like the Buccaneers feel the same. 
Yeah, and I mean, I wasn't really that high on Leonard Fournette coming out of LSU anyway, and he hasn't really done anything in Jacksonville to change my mind. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's a serviceable running back, and I know, you know, 1,000-yard rusher last year got it, but the way he got a 1,000-yard rushing is almost like breaking the single-season sack record when a Hall of Fame quarterback just lays on the ground and lets you touch him down. So, I mean, it's impressive, but is it really? Yeah. Shots fired. Next voicemail. <laughs> Hey guys, it's late in Tampa. Hope you guys are having a great beginning to your draft week. Just wanted to call in and just say this. Um, just watching Twitter and people going back and forth with Rick Stroud about OJ Howard and possibly being traded, blah, blah, blah. And what's really hilarious to me is these fans who are in the locker room know anything about OJ Howard. Um, other than he's a player for the Bucks, which majority of fans do not. And then to be rude to Rick Scott or any other media member. One, it's unwarranted. Two, most fans don't know what they're talking about um, when they're dumping on a player. Um, and three, if they trade him, it's business. If they keep him, again, it's business. And I would like them to keep O.J. Howard. I like O.J. Howard. But at the end of the day, what Bruce Arians and Jason Light decide to do is going to be for the team, not for any one fan. Hopefully, fans will one day learn that. Probably not. But, you know, at this point, it's draft week. Just enjoy it. Get ready for Thursday. And, you know, have a good time. We're going through enough in this country right now than to be bashing a reporter or even dumping on a player. People need to understand that there, there's more to life than that. So, anyway, hope you guys have a great week. Look forward to your discussions this week and beyond. And go Bucks. Uh We appreciate the call, as always. Happy to hear from you. And as far as... The Rick Shroud back and forth on Twitter. So honestly, I didn't, I wasn't seeing this uh, until we got this voicemail. We get the voicemail, I listened to it, and I said, oh, there are people going back and forth with Rick Shroud. So I jumped on Twitter, uh, went and found it real quick. And, and yeah, there was some back and forth going on. And, you know, I would say it's pretty much par for the course for the most part. I mean, James, I think you and I have been pretty good about kind of avoiding uh, those kinds of interactions with people. Uh, most of the interactions we have with people are pretty positive, but, you know, uh, anybody has been doing this for any amount of time, you're going to have people in the comments, you know, bagging on your work or saying, you know, uh, how does this guy even have, you know, a job, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it just kind of is the nature of the beast. And I know that Rick understands that as well. Uh, as for what Layton is driving at, I agree. I mean, listen, um, I want to give a quick shout out to a couple of people, uh, Brian Nice and Dustin Gottney. I'm really sorry if I butchered your name. So James, I share some of our work in some Facebook groups. I know your thought on Facebook groups, but I still go in there every once in a while. And I posted our first episode of this here mocked or mock draft that we're doing uh, in the loose cannons Facebook group. And those guys were two people who commented on that post and had nice things to say about our show and about us. And one of the comments was about how we, you know, their impressions that we work our butts off to produce content nearly every day. And that is 100% accurate. Um, we definitely work our butts off. Our spouses are, are witness to how much we work our butts off. And, you know, this, this whole thing bleeds over. And here's what I will tell anybody who dislikes Rick Stroud or believes that Rick Stroud has personal agendas and all this stuff. I cannot speak for whether or not Rick allows his own personal opinions to get into uh, the mix of his work. That's, that's not something he and I have discussed, James. I don't know if you've ever had those conversations with him. 
But what I can speak to is that Rick Stroud is one of the hardest working guys covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and I say that from personal experience, having seen him uh, at the scouting combine, having seen him during training camp, having seen him at games, and he's there early, he's there late, and he's completely focusing on what he's doing. He's not one of these guys who's just kind of knocking off and laughing and joking and smoking, as we like to say. Uh, he's very focused on what he's doing. He's very intent on what he's doing. And he's very professional with, with what he does. Um, so, you know, take it for what it's worth. Um, if Rick has an opinion or uh, analyzes something in a way that you don't agree with, that's perfectly fine. Uh, but I would say that um, if, you, if you're one of the folks out there who uh, believes that Rick is cutting corners or you know, maybe lazy in some of his analysis, I will tell you that there are people, uh, James, that we have, have witnessed not being at places, and Rick is not one of them. Yeah, I mean, people are going to have their opinions of Rick Stroud. Love him or hate him, there is absolutely no questioning that man's work, uh, that man's effort, and I, I can say pretty confidently that he is not pushing any kind of personal opinion. He is reporting what he's being told. He is reporting what he's heard. Um, the dude doesn't have a quote-unquote agenda. And yeah, I mean, Rick and Greg and Scott over at Pewter Report, I mean, these are guys that are always there, always focused on their job. And I, I will say that Scott is probably the more opinionated of the three. But, you know, he he lets his opinion show when he feels it's valid, like when he said the Bucks should move on from Lovey Smith or the Bucks should move on from Dirk Cutter. And we were writing the same things. You know, we were we were talking about the same things. But yeah, Rick Stroud busts his butt. And, you know, I I just here's what gets me. People need to understand. And David, it's a little different for you and me. And you know, we got into doing this because we were fans of the team. Now, I'm I'm still a fan, I guess, but I view the Buccaneers far differently now than I did five or six years ago. I, I view them in a much different light. And fans that are going after Rick or going after Greg or Jenna, they don't seem to understand that the people that cover the teams are not fans of the teams. And it, it upsets them that they're not always saying great things about them. That's not, that's not being fair. You know, I, I got crushed in comment sections for things that I said that were negative about Jameis Winston or negative about Gerald McCoy or negative about Deshaun Jackson or, you know, things like that because fans don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear the negative. They want to hear the good things, and that's not our job. It's especially not Rick's job or Greg's job or Jenna's. You have to be fair on both sides. And I think Rick does an absolutely phenomenal job with that. And, you know, kudos to him for dealing with some of these back and forth. He's been far more interactive lately uh, than I remember in, in past years. You know, Greg is usually the one that'll, you know, give people a Twitter slap and, and kind of knock them in their place. And Rick's been doing it lately, too. And it's, it's been interesting to see. But, yeah, uh, Leighton, always appreciate the call. And, you know, yeah, enjoy it, guys. It's draft week. You know, the, the Bucks may not do what you want them to do, but they're going to do what they feel they have to to win a Super Bowl within the next two years while they got Tom Brady. 
So you, yeah. you we're, we're so used to, oh, the Bucks won the offseason because they did this, that, and the other thing. No, the Bucks won the offseason because they got Tom freaking Brady. Everything that happens this weekend, it's icing on the cake. As long as they get that offensive tackle, everything else is just <laughs> icing on the cake. As long as they get that offensive tackle. As long as they um, get that offensive tackle. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, to, we've had other guests kind of hit on that point. And, yeah, you know, I've, I've said it on multiple occasions. That at the end of the day, you don't get into sports writing, sports journalism, unless you are a fan at a minimum of the game, but not necessarily of the team. But every, I think every writer would agree it's more fun to write about winning football and positive football than it is about negative football and losing football. So in that sense, I think, you know, I don't know if you'd ever get Rick to, to freely admit it, but he would rather cover a winning Buccaneers team uh, than a losing I, Buccaneers team. But I think yeah, he I, has said that before. I'm, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's human <laughs> nature. You know what I mean? But, uh, but you know, to your point about you and I, yeah. I mean, when, when I decided to get into sports writing, it wasn't because I didn't know anything about football or didn't care about football because I love football. It's because I love watching the game and so I love studying the game I did it you know I watched and studied the game before I ever started writing about the game or talking about the game and but it does it changes you and I remember when I first started getting into it, I listened to an episode of what the buck uh, and Mark Cook was a guest and that's something it was right around the time where all the fan sites and all the podcasts were really starting to get going and now it's mm-hmm. just kind of exploded but this was kind of in the beginning where people can kind of see people following the you know the Derek Fournier model of success and, and getting into this business and Mark said, he's like, I'm going to warn you guys. He's like, it changes you. It changes you as a, as a fan of the game. It changes you as a fan of the team. And if you're going to be honest in doing it, you're going to have to let it change you. And I will tell you that is 100% true, that it does absolutely change the way that you see the game. So if you're, you know, we, we've got some friends, you know, the Phil Schweglers of the world and stuff who are doing, you know, what we're doing, albeit at a, you know, at probably a lower volume and, and with less access and all that stuff, but it still changes. If you're going to be honest in the way you do this, it has to change the way that you view the team, has to change the way you view the game, and you become less of a fan in the traditional sense and more of a fan of the intricacy. Like, I've become a bigger fan of the details of the game and less a fan of the logos of the game. Um, you know, Peyton Barber and Brashad Perry are two people that come to mind. I know we're running over, so I'll try to wrap it up. But Brashad Perry and Peyton Barber are two guys, James, that you and I have support. I mean, Brashad was just one year. But Peyton, from the time he was an undrafted free agent in this team, I remember on our old show, I went on the record and said Peyton Barber, undrafted free agent out of Auburn, has starter potential in the National Football League. I stood by it. He became a starter. We'll see what happens moving forward um, with, uh, with the Redskins. But, you know, whether he becomes a full-time starter da, 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 is, is irrelevant when it came time for this offseason, I still went on the record on this show and said, I believe my Peyton Barber's time in Tampa is over. It's done. And we didn't hear anything from it. Didn't hear a peep about it uh, because he's not the quarterback. You know what I mean? He's not the number one overall pick and all that stuff. And that's fine. But those are takes. Those are analysis. That's analysis. Those are opinions that you don't want to have, right? Because again, when he came out of Auburn, very high on the guy, very big fan of him, if you want to put it that way. It just didn't work out. And he peaked as far as I'm concerned with the Buccaneers. So it was time for him to move on somewhere else and see if a new system, a new style, new coaches, whatever could maybe get some more growth out of him. That's what's happening. I wish him all the best, but that's the truth. You know what I mean? That's the truth of it. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to add on to that because you know, it's, it's a common conversation. I know Taylor Jenkins came on the show and said the same thing too. You know, he'd rather cover winning football, but he's not going to just sugarcoat things because he wants people to like the bucks or because he likes the bucks. That's not what he's here for. 
Yeah, like I uh, when I when I very first started, <clears throat> I had no idea what a blog was or how to make one. But by God, I got on WordPress and I made one, and I called it my healthy outlet for an unhealthy obsession. And six years later, here we are. But with that, we have got to get out of here. So please check out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you're following along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Check out the Locked On NFL mock draft over on the Locked On NFL podcast. Every Locked On show making a pick for their team. See how it all shook out. Really well done. Really well produced. Um, lots of, of opinions and, and people weighing in from the Locked On College shows. Really fantastic production by by everyone at the uh, at the Locked On NFL uh, podcast and, and the Locked On Network. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. So coming up tomorrow, round three. Until then, stay safe. Stay healthy, wash your hands, and we thank you so much for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks.